This is episode number 348, How to Evaluate Your Thoughts with Colin Wright. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. The first announcement being an invitation to all of our listeners to our recently launched program called Rewrite Your Story. What this is, is a program that we've been developing over the past five to six years of working with people from all over the world in helping them rewrite their story, the story of their past, the story of their future, the story of the hardship and the challenges that they've experienced in their lives, and help them find ways to turn those stories into opportunities to learn and to grow from. If you feel like this message speaks to you, please consider visiting our website at overcomingodds.today where you'll be able to find the latest details regarding this particular program. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our show, and that is if our show has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our cause by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. I'm grateful we're able to connect. And as I was talking to you earlier about this concept of uh, an article that, or a blog post that you had written on the uh, concept of composting and killing of ideas, it's been a while, so you'll probably have to refresh my mind a little bit as far as like, uh, why you even came across it and what led to that particular realization. But I found it to be very interesting because for so many years of my life, I believed in the concept of just killing ideas. Now, if an idea is not serving you or especially in this particular moment, just kill it, move on to the next one, rather using your method and that's composted and know that it might come back later and it might mm -hmm. be useful down the road and so I'm just, I'm curious, when did that even come about? When did you begin to realize that, okay, maybe instead of doing this, there is a different approach that I could take to idea gathering, idea generating, and ultimately building a better product moving forward? I, I tend to think it's more of a matter of framing than anything else. Uh, I mean, I think there are, it does lead to different practical outcomes, but I would argue that anything that you do, any, any, literally anything that you do changes you in some way and you can learn from any experience, however that experience ends up turning out ultimately. Uh, but for projects in particular, anything that you undertake, whether it earns you a bajillion dollars or it's something that costs you money and then you eventually fold it up at some point and just move on to something else, you've taken something from that and you've engaged with new people and you've created new things and you've learned new stuff as a consequence. 
maybe things that work, maybe things that don't work. And so no matter what, you're you're taking something from each of these things, whether or not you kill them brutally, uh, you still take away something from that experience. But for me personally, I'm I'm a person of many experiments and projects and undertakings. I just, I can't leave things very well enough alone, unfortunately, in some cases, but it, that's something that fuels me. I find that if I have a lot of balls in the air, then I'm much more excited about all of the things that I do. And I can usually take learnings from one thing and then apply it to other things. And so my entire portfolio of undertakings benefit from me engaging in lots of different things um, at times simultaneously, at times in a more organized fashion. Uh, so when I reframe the projects that I'm undertaking in this way from the get-go, understanding that each one is an experiment, that at some point I will check in with myself and decide whether to invest more in it, whether to keep it going at the current pace, or whether to pull back on it and either pull it apart or just allow it to exist and continue to exist as it is in that, that state, whatever that state might be, um, acknowledging that from the beginning gives me a better state of mind, I would say, actually, related to these projects, because then one, the killing is a bit easier, because it doesn't feel like you're committing yourself to something. And then it's never a part of your life ever again, it could be something that you come back to, it could just be something that you learn valuable lessons from, it could be something that informs something else that you do, and that goes on to be important. But it can also be something that you take and you you compost it, you mulch it, you turn it into the nutrients and energy required for something else that you do. And ideally, for me at least, for my purposes and my philosophy on this sort of thing, I like the, maybe just the mental picture of taking these things that I've committed myself to and allowed myself to really engage in as if it will be the thing that I do for the rest of my life because that's something you miss if you look at things as uh, these projects as short-term things that you can get rid of just at the, the flip of a coin. Um, being able to look at it in that way as something that is not wasted effort. And in fact, all of the energy or substantial amount of the energy I put into it can eventually go to something else if I decide to do it. That helps me fully commit. And that helps me then make those tough decisions because that energy doesn't disappear. It just changes shape over time. And it's something that then allows you to continue to move move forward and pay attention to that grand expanse, the bigger journey, and look at each of these pieces as just a component of that journey. Mm, that's a very interesting reframe because it, it kind of just reminds me that even in in situations, and I'm solely speaking because of this because I've experienced this many times where I would approach a particular project or a friendship or literally anything in life. And then let's say certain things did not meet your expectations or work out accordingly. Then the first thought is, man, I wasted so much time. I wasted so much energy. I wasted so much effort when really with a reframe of it's never really wasted. It's just that it may not have reached the capacity that you initially envisioned, but there's still learning that can be done lessons that can be articulated and so I'm curious from your perspective, when it comes to quote unquote, killing a project or moving on to the next project, how do you know, what is that fine line as far as, okay, this is a project that only served for me to learn X, Y, and Z skill or a lesson, or this is a project that actually produced a form of revenue or clients, whatever it might be, because I found that many of the projects that I engage with, they're not clear cut. Mm -hmm. Right. It's harder to articulate like, okay, this project has neared its end and I'm on to the next one. 
if anything, what I found is that it's just a choice that I make oftentimes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's possible to fool yourself in either direction. That to, too. To, yeah. Like to, to justify either sticking with it longer than you need to, or to justify getting rid of it because it's hard or because you want to focus on something else, because that new shiny thing seems more interesting in the moment, even if continued commitment to an existing project might be more beneficial. Um, for me, so typically, like you said, things can go in weird directions and you don't necessarily know where something's going to go at the outset when you start it. And ideally, you're learning as you go along and allowing the thing to iterate and pivot and shift in different ways, sometimes dramatic, sometimes very small ways. Um, and that's a good thing, I think. But it's also important, I think, at the beginning to understand why you're doing what you're doing. Like, what is the point of this project? What is the outcome? What does it look like if I go generally this way? What does it look like if I go a little bit more this way? Uh, and for me, the the project that uh, inspired that particular essay was called uh, I Will Read to You. And it was just a podcast in which I read a lot of different things, but mostly public domain poetry. And I started this project. I, I don't do anything else with poetry. It was something I wanted to learn more about, but I also wanted to, I, I just had some jaw surgery. So I wanted to work out the muscles and have an excuse to just every day record something unfamiliar. And poetry is a lot different in terms of cadence and rhythm and diction and everything else from what I typically speak about into a microphone. So I, I wanted that. Uh, I also liked the idea of maybe getting to the point where I'd been exposed to enough of this stuff that I could write my own, have it influence my other writing, get that kind of melody and rhythm into my other writing as much as possible. And I could imagine an outcome. Uh, oh, also, it helped me experiment with a new microphone I'd just gotten, not this one, but a, a fancy pants microphone I'd bought. So I wanted to, to work on my uh, technique with that microphone. But I could also imagine a situation in which maybe it became something where you could monetize it in a way, just in terms of getting members or putting ads on it, or even having people pay to have certain things read. Like there was a lot of different ways that it could go theoretically if I decided to turn it then into a self-sustaining, economically self-sustaining business. Uh, but also at the low end, it was a very low investment thing that gave me a bunch of stuff that I wanted already. And it got to the point where I developed a habit of reading poetry into a microphone and doing a recording for it before mm. everything else I read. So it became a bit of an exercise as well, leading into recording other longer format stuff. So it was a project that from the beginning, I had a pretty clear idea of what it was for. And even if it did nothing other than serving as an excuse for me to seek out this type of poetry and read it on a regular basis, I was getting exactly what I needed. But I do like having a little something extra when I can on these projects, especially when that something extra creates some kind of value for other people as just, even if it's just a passive component of what I'm doing. And so I could just find this poetry and read it into the microphone and not record anything. Or I could take it a little bit further and invest a little bit of extra effort, not much, um, to produce it and to put it out as a podcast. And so that way, this stuff that otherwise people would only be able to read, which limits the audience, the people who would seek it out, the people who would put in the trouble, some people can't read stuff on screens or at all very well, um, make an audio version of these things and make it available to everybody for free and just put it out there, add to the public forum, add to the the literary open source community, I guess you could call it. Uh, I, I like that idea too. So uh, there was a bunch of different purposes to it. 
And then when I allowed myself to check in, and usually I set a time ahead of time. So I start a project and say, in one month, in six months, in a year, whatever seems to make sense for the amount of effort required uh, and the outcomes I'm looking to get, I'm going to check in with myself and be really honest. Is this something that I should continue investing in? And in some cases, it absolutely is. And in some cases, at that point, I'll know enough to know that I need to make a dramatic pivot to make it continued uh, to to continue generating value from it, mm -hmm. whatever that value mm -hmm. happens to be. In some cases, I can keep going and it just it fits within my day and it's fine and it requires so little effort or the benefits are so great. I can just keep going without having to think about it for the next several months. Or I'll look at it and say, okay, I think I actually got what I needed from this. And it doesn't take a whole lot of effort, time and energy, but I could take that time and effort that I'm putting into this and reinvest it in this other thing. And it just so happened that in this case, I had a couple of other projects I was looking at investing myself in that I could take that energy and that time and put it into that new thing. And because I'd already gotten the stuff that I wanted to get from it that I'd defined initially, uh, all of those stars lined up and it was a good time to uh, to mulch it and turn it into energy for something else. Do you keep a log of all the ideas that you generate kind of through each project that you can carry into the next one? I, I take a lot of notes, but it's not formal. And I very, very seldom go back to those notes. I probably should. That That's the sort of thing. A lot of people I respect to do that. For me, the note-taking process just kind of solidifies it in my own head. So I have then a sense of where things are going. Um, so very seldom are there things when I do check those notes that I forgot along the way. Um, but I could probably do even more if I got more into the note-taking mm -hmm. thing. I have a friend of mine. She takes pages and pages of different notes, conversations, interviews, reading books. And I remember one time looking at a stack of paper. I mean, it was, I don't know, probably the size of a recycling bin. And I just asked her that question. I said, do you ever go back? Do you ever revisit the previous ideas? And I think she said no, because it would just take way too long. But it's a similar process. She writes it down as a way to help her remember, but also just in case it can trigger any additional thoughts that can you know she can essentially take and move forward into the next endeavor and project so i just i've always found, found fascinating how or oftentimes found fascinating how all of us are so different in our ability to learn mm. some people take notes others don't have to to me it's just fascinating how we're able to break down some of these very complex topics in so many different ways yeah, yeah, I think that's good too. I like, I, I love hearing about other people's methods for this, even when they don't work for me, because I find it interesting to then think about what would that be like? How would information look? How do you derive connections? Note taking sometimes for me is just like doodles, and I'm like drawing different. Here's this project, and it connects to this and this and this. There's no sense behind it, and anybody else could look at it and they'd be like, "What is this crazy person scribbling onto this piece of paper?" But for me, <laughs> making connections works really well visually in that way. And for other people, I know they use complex like Notion and things like that. There's really interesting tools available out there that I don't think would work for me, but I, I find it absolutely fascinating that they work so well for other people. Mm. Well, I found that to be a great tool as well, kind of going back to the the concept that we've been exploring, and that's helping people develop a better story, better narrative. And that's in being open to other people's perspectives, it opens up your own story to other possibilities of what mm. it could be, right? I mean, think about the number of stories that we view through one lens 
when really letting someone else into your life and sharing that story with with other people, it creates an opportunity for a different perspective to be heard. And then you yeah. sit there and you probably think, I never thought about it that way. It could yeah. be that, or it could be this. And I think going back to reframing and kind of reshaping your own life and, and how you view certain things, for me, that's been extremely beneficial. Just being open to the fact that there are other ways that anything and everything could be done other than the way that I've done it. This to me, that exactly is one of the reasons that I love travel because you meet a lot of people with a lot of wildly different perspectives at times from your own, different backgrounds, experiences, expectations, goals, everything. But it's also why I try to encourage people to read fiction because fiction allows you to do that from wherever you happen to be. It allows you to imagine things, imagine perspectives, ways of looking at things, ways of thinking, and even kind of occupying that perspective for a period of time. So that then when you return to your own perspective, you know whether that's after 20 minutes of reading or five minutes here and there, uh, you have a slightly different, you, you have the capacity almost to put a little periscope over your eyes and look from those different angles whenever you want mm -hmm. to in the future. Mm-hmm. What do you think for you has helped you create the ability to be open-minded to a lot of other perspectives, projects, different ways of living life? Because I've been trying to understand that from my own perspective and that I have run into a wall more often than I could imagine. I think a lot of it had to do with attitude. Mm. You know, just knowing that like I have a choice in the type of attitude that I go into in every conversation with. But I wonder from other other people, like what else contributes to that? Because I found that there's tremendous power in having an open mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I would say first, we're all kind of fighting a losing battle with that because we are built to be singular entities and to think of ourselves, ourselves actually being an amalgamation of just countless smaller creatures in an ecosystem that we, for some reason, perceive to be I. Um, so we're struggling with that. We are built to think of ourselves individually from one point in space when in reality, that's physically not true. Um, but I would say what has helped me at least is one, meeting a lot of different types of people and recognizing that there's a lot of different types of good and correct and useful. And I mean, basically, there's just so many different ways that we could grow up and that we could be born into different scenarios and ways that we could look at the world that are equally okay and equally rational. And that's a very difficult thing to accept uh, for a lot of us, I think, myself included. But if you can bend your mind in that way and work out that muscle and say, okay, I do not agree with this, or I even find this to be abhorrent, but I can understand how this person coming from this place Growing up in this set of circumstances with this set of beliefs and common cultural mores, I mean, I would probably think exactly the same things if I was born and grew up in those same circumstances. Um, you, you can even kind of forecast into the future. Think about how many things from 100 years ago we consider to be abhorrent. But to the average person, they might have seemed just normal. And there might have been a few outliers who, you know, would live okay today according to our cultural standards. But most people, they believed a lot of really, to us, nonsensical, horrible things. Look into the future. How many things that we're doing today that we consider to be good and pure and virtuous almost across the board, will they look back at us and say, look at these monsters, these horrible barbarians? Uh, like I can imagine a dozen different things that, that might apply to, but there's nothing that we can do in the moment about it because of our circumstances. You, 
you can move in that direction, but you can't guarantee that other people will agree with you. So trying to stretch your brain, both by exposing yourself to different ideas and different types of people, uh, trying to work those muscles by allowing yourself to accept that there might be different ways of looking at the world than yours and the very finite set of circumstances and specific circumstances that led to your worldview, but then also trying to imagine different ways that things might be. And again, fiction helps with that, but so does just like sit, forcing yourself to sit down and imagine who would I be in the past? Who would I be in the future? What different sets of circumstances build up to different worldviews? So is that more of, uh, of a relative approach to everything as far as everything is gray? I would say yes, but not in an absolute sense. Uh -huh. I think you can How do you find your absolutes within that then? Like what is black or white? I don't know. It's a difficult question because absolutes, it's kind of like saying never. Uh, having an absolute sense of anything doesn't allow for all kinds of variables that you can't imagine and things that you can't predict. Um, there's a lot of things that I would like to think about myself. And there's a lot of things that would apply 99.99999% of the time, but that wouldn't apply in circumstances I can't imagine or cannot imagine. I also recognize that culturally, in most contexts, if you are not willing to be absolute about certain things, you come across as a hypocrite. But at the same time, if you're too flexible on anything, you seem like a monster. Yes. Um, but, but at the same time, I mean, I, I feel like you have to kind of walk in between those things. And anybody being honest with themselves has to acknowledge that there's an exception for everything. Um, so I would say that I have a lot of strong beliefs about things. I hold those as lightly as possible because new information comes along all the time that can sway me on that. And I try not to adopt labels that force me into certain categories and belief systems that might not align with all those gray scales. But there's a lot of different shades. It's really interesting. Too. How do you do that? How do you do that in regard to the labels part? Because I, I found that to be a, a very difficult have to take because I've seen it change friendships. I've seen it change the course of many relationships, right? When one person is so one person or a group so strongly aligned with one belief and you just happen to be either in the middle or on the other side of that. And I, I it's it's just been an interesting road to navigate. And I'm kind of just curious like how have you been able to do that throughout your own life? Imperfectly. Um I mean, honestly, tribalism is a hell of a drug and yeah. <laughs> people that you agree with on almost everything can be just as exclusionary and looking for an other to outcast and demonize as people that you disagree with about essentially everything. So it's something that affects everybody and even truly brilliant, really lovely people succumb to it because it's, it's part of how we socialize. Again, it's kind of baked in to our neurology and our reflexes when it comes to socializing and building civilizations, I think, to try to exclude and include and use that as a cudgel. Um, something that helps me, I think, is that having having traveled a lot and almost always being the dumbest person in the room, just completely ignorant about what's happening around me. I By choice? Mind. As in like, that's, that's an attitude, that's a state you put yourself in? I think you can choose to be in that state because then it allows you to learn faster because you're not then worried about looking like an idiot when you ask questions. So it's it's going in and trying earnestly to learn and not trying to pretend that you have all the answers because if you pretend you have all the answers, you can't ask the questions and then you learn much more slowly. And so travel helps with that. You don't have to travel to do that. You can just adopt that mindset, but it helped me a lot to get into that mindset. And being able to be in that kind of 
slightly outside space helps a bit because then you care less about what other people think about you. Not 100%, that would be hard to do, but you care less about looking foolish in front of people who might be in like a clique or a tribe or a social group that you otherwise want to be a part of or want to like you or whatever that happens to be. So that helps a bit. Um, I also find too, and, and this is something that, especially traveling throughout the United States, this helped a whole lot. Something that's helped me not not have other people feel judged by the fact that I'm not adopting their labels and slogans and bumper sticker catchphrases is finding the commonalities first. And so rather than first, it's being aware of what keywords and stuff are being used in politics and ideological discussions and avoiding those like not 100 percent and not doing it in a weird way. Uh, or like if somebody says something, you call them out on it, but like myself trying to avoid using these trigger words that I know will set people off and put them into a defensive mindset. And instead having discussions about things where there tend to be bridge topics, things that everybody at some level can have a discussion about. And then you can build a dynamic, build some kind of even a, a very, very loose watered down friendship with first before you get into the things that you disagree about. And I find having those bridge topics and being aware of the fact that you're not trying to set this person off and you're not trying to prove them wrong and you're not trying to talk them down or diminish them in any way. So if you can build that even just a tiny thread of connection first before those things that might be contra uh, controversial or confrontational pop up, you stand a much better chance of having mutual respect first and then it doesn't become like a, a weird jarring um, me versus you, you are the other type of conversation. It sounds like much of that starts from your own genuine curiosity, right? I mean, that would be a generous way of putting it. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I hope it's that and not something, not something that sounds worse. But yeah, I mean, I, I, part of the reason I travel and the reason I read so much and try to learn so much and have so many projects, arguably too many, uh, is that I'm just very, very interested and nothing makes me happier than going out and learning things and meeting new people and challenging what I think I know and then trying to rebuild my framework based on that new information. Where have you traveled to this point? Oh, I mean, it's it's a pretty big list. I've been 65 countries, I want to say, and I've lived in about a dozen of them. Um, and then I've been to all, I haven't been to Alaska or Hawaii yet, but I've been to all the other 48 states two or three times a piece. That is incredible. It's, it's something didn't... I'm passionate about. <laughs> I had to, I, I've traded off a lot of other things to be able to travel like that. Oh, I bet. I, I did a fair share of my travel last year. Mm. I did a seven, eight month trip. I spent three months in Europe. I lived in Ghana for a month and a half. Oh, wow. Lived in uh, Ecuador and Peru. Mm -hmm. about three months. And I'll tell you that from my own experience, I'm still processing much of it, but it was a eye-opening experience That's in fantastic. regard to everything, how much I, my identity that I signed to work and how much I believe that all you have to do is work, 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 and kind of lost uh, meaning of the word human being, not human doing. And I would say if, if anyone and anyone that's going to be listening to this, that is something that I highly recommend. And what, and what made you decide? Yeah. What made you decide to travel for that duration to those locations? You know, for me, I think the big thing that played a role was that I wanted to challenge my own myths about certain places. And one of those myths was about the entire continent of Africa. 
And the more that I thought about the different things that I knew about that continent and then having experienced that in person or in real life, I realized that many of them were false. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that the media, not necessarily the media's fault, but more so a lot of the movies that I've consumed to that point, 99% of them included an African country that was for, full of criminals, drug lords, some sort of crime-related activities, and very few of them showed an image where people were kind and nice and willing to give and to serve and to be a human. And so that was my first thought was, how different is it in real life? And I'll say that landing in Ghana and being literally the only white person at the airport as well as thousands of miles after I stepped out of the airport, it challenged my own beliefs. It challenged my own sense of belonging. It challenged my own identity. I mean, I I didn't really think about it prior to that moment, how much I take for granted when it comes to being able to connect to other people. Mm. Even think about it in US, right? I mean, yes, there are places you could go to Detroit, Flint, whatever, that you might be the only one of a particular ethnicity, skin color, speaking that language, whatever that might be. But still, at the end of the day, it is very likely that you will find someone that you can relate to. Now, in Ghana, it was drastically different. The skin tone alone, it was very difficult to find anyone who I can relate to. So I had to dig deep and, and really figure that out. But long story longer, I, I chose to travel to challenge my own myths, my own understanding of the world. And I partially wanted to also see if that is an experience that I could do on my own. So I traveled by myself through most of those places, which is a very different type of travel than having traveled with friends or people that I could fall back on when things weren't going well, because then you have a safety net, right? Then you have people to fall back on when something goes wrong or not according to the plan, and you can kind of reflect, learn. But when you're by yourself, I mean, it, it's just me, myself, and I yeah. and a notebook. That's yeah, it, exactly, right? Exactly. And depending on where you are, some of the places, it's not like I was able to pick up the phone and call my friends and family. <laughs> no internet, no connection. So I've learned a lot about, about myself through that process. I, I'm definitely going to incorporate more of that in, into my life. Uh, if there's anything that I wish more of, it's that more people had traveled. More I wish people more people had the ability to. Yeah, because I mean, the I, ability to travel. Correct. I'm a cheap traveler. I I don't have tons of money. Never really have, but uh, it's still something that's out of reach to the vast majority of the world. And I I do wish if I could change something. I mean, there's a lot of things I'd change about a lot of global systems. But one of one thing that I think would be really great um, in terms of us all being able to more casually recognize our shared humanity is everyone having that fish out of water feeling and everybody having the opportunity to be put in these different contexts to discover, oh, these people are not scary. They're just different or far away. Um, and that there's, we all have more in common, just like with our genes, like we've, we've got more, way more in common than we have differences. And we choose to focus on those differences often because certain leaders or demagogues encourage us to, because that's something that gives them more power over us. Mm. Mm. 
You know, something else that I realized, and I don't know if you noticed the same thing throughout your travel, is how many how many people have a passport? Very few. I made the assumption that pretty much everyone had a passport. I mean, yeah, it depends on the country, but a lot of places that that goes hand in hand with all of the other uh, privileges and benefits that come with living in certain places is the ability to access travel or cross borders casually. Mm-hmm. And especially I found that traveling on the U.S. passport, I mean, there was I couldn't think of a single place that I couldn't go to. And yeah. I was meeting some of the fellow travelers along the way, and they were sharing the complete opposite stories. I can't go here. I can't do this. And I just was sitting there and thinking, man, I have a huge privilege on my hands right now. Having the ability to go to literally any country in the world just because I have a different passport. It's it's the sort of thing that is the valuable sort of humbling <laughs> to, to go out into the world and meet people who are just as, if not more capable in everything than you and to recognize that the reason you're able to do certain things and they are not is because of pure dumb luck. True. It's very true. I am a huge believer in that. And I remember I talked to a couple of my friends about this, how there's so many things that we just can't control in their life, right? Where we, where we are born, who our parents are going to be, how we're going to be raised to a degree. But like you mentioned, even being born in the United States compared to Ghana or another country in Europe or wherever it might be, there are some big differences between the two. And, you know, each one of them has its own set of advantages and disadvantages. But I just found that it it's so fascinating how depending on where you are born can literally change the t- entire trajectory of what could be possible in your lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a huge imbalance and ideally something, I mean, what I would love to see are a bunch of new systems and, and setups and ways of being that equal that uh, equalize it at the foundational level, because, you know, everybody's going to want to do different things with their lives, but to make sure that is as close to equal as possible, people have access to the same resources and opportunities. I think that's something worth striving for. Did you find that along your travel, the concept of purpose and meaning was that different than the one that you were exposed to in the States? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Pretty much everywhere I went. There's a certain bleed over, though, because of how pervasive American culture is, um, just in terms of American music and American celebrities and American movies and the the mythos of Silicon Valley and things like that. You can go anywhere and find people who adhere to that sort of mythos as well. And the same sort of thing that I think a lot of us, it sounds like you included, but me as well, where we're, we grow up with a certain idea of what success looks like and who we're measuring ourselves against and what is worth sacrificing for. And then maybe at some point, maybe not, we step back and realize it's more complicated than that. All of those things were not incorrect, but they were incomplete. And some of them were way off for our actual preferences. And I think anywhere you go, you'll find the same thing. Um, that's a bit more pervasive in my experience, at least in the United States, but especially in big cities that are that are connected to international culture, I find that it, it became pretty pervasive. I've also found that at least in US, and this is not by any means I'm speaking to for the entire country, but just the places that I've been to, that there is that search for the ultimate equation. <laughs> ultimate equation as it comes to well-being, success, whatever it might be. 
And having traveled to some of these other spots, I found that some people still, but very few appear to be so were seeking for that recipe to put that thing together instead just kind of choosing actively to live life to the best of their ability. And I, I, I don't know if that's a difference you've also noticed along your travel, but after I was able to come back, there was definitely a period of time where it put a lot of things into question. Like, okay, success is not as simple as you described, right? Because every single person's path is drastically different. And that's not even accounting the fact that there are probably thousands of steps that A, they weren't aware of that they had to take, or they're just not choosing to disclose or whatever other reasons, right? Survivorship bias. Survive Exactly. And so I, I found that like within that, it's such a complicated topic along with many other topics. And having had the ability to be exposed to other people's lifestyles really enhanced mine because then I was able to take a step back and kind of look at it through the lens of, okay, there is really no ultimate formula to be chased and maybe to be found. We all want and maybe things. the only yeah. Exactly. Maybe the only thing I can do is just continue to make a series of decisions and then from there build upon each one without the expectation that one day I'm going to reach this final thing and it's going to be complete. Can you imagine how miserable that would actually be if you reached the end of life before <laughs> it, it would, reaching the end of would, life? It would be very, uh, very like You'd run out. Like, you know, you finished a video game. It's like, okay, what do I do now? Well, this is the only one. This is Especially if of... you had like 50 more years to live. I know. I, how you imagine that? <laughs> I mean, but the, the thing is, that is what we're sold on, though. We're sold on the idea that certain, it, it's formula, I, I usually think of it in terms of different metrics, like the things that we use to measure, the things that we pay attention to, the numbers that we pay attention to. And we're sold on the idea that some of these metrics are the most important, and in fact, might be the only metrics that actually matter, because those are the things that are legible to the systems of which we're a part. They're legible to government, they're legible to companies, they're legible to the, the type of economic model that we use to manage scarcity, uh, a type of capitalism, basically. And so these are the only things that actually matter, and thus we should only pay attention to these things. And then we can sell people on the idea that they need, need to consume certain things, they need to acquire certain things, they need to have certain types of jobs, certain types of work, have certain positions within society. These are the things that matter because these are the metrics that are legible to the systems of which we're a part. And that honestly, it obviously it's not true. It's something that was not obviously not true to me for a very long time because I was thinking of myself as being a real rebel, but climbing the same ladder as everybody else for a very, very long time. Um, and it's something that when you go from place to place, you'll see people with different ideas about this. Uh, and again, I would argue that versions of that metric focus are more potent in some areas than others. The United States has a very potent mass media and uh, economic a collection of economic incentives that push everybody to continue pushing this idea that those are the only metrics that matter. Other places are less burdened by that, but have different versions of the same. But it's possible for anybody anywhere, I think, to have a more complete understanding of that, that doesn't maybe allow them to get out from under some of the necessities of that type of push. You still have to pay the rent. You still need to buy groceries. That's the the world that we live in, fortunately or unfortunately. There's pros and cons. Um, 
But you can you can consider that and say, well, here's how much I need to get the things that I need to be happy within that system. But then do I need like way more above that? Do I need to just go on infinitely to actually be happy? And at what point then am I happy? Like, when do I reach the happy point? When in reality, and this is something that's more difficult to sell, so we don't really hear about it very often, at least not in this way, like you can get to a point where you're good with those metrics and then focus on other ones. You can focus on your your personal, internal, psychological, and physical health. You can focus on relationships with other people. You can focus on bettering your environment, your society. You can focus on building other systems that allow us then to focus on different things. But the system itself is challenged, I think. And the system I'm using in a vague, broad sense, not like one government or one economic system or anything else, but the the paradigm in which we exist is challenged every time you start to look at things outside of what the paradigm favors. And so it's not something that is encouraged and incentivized, but it's also something that's just difficult to discuss because many of us, because of those luck-based circumstances, are forced to focus so much on just getting enough to pay rent. And just having enough to buy food for ourselves and our families, that it makes focusing on those other metrics difficult, and even considering that they might exist difficult. Well, think about how much time we spend on just being able to create our own sense of internal safety, yeah. right? And 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 also how one is perceived when your own internal system is challenged. Mm-hmm. You are lost. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you're doing purposeless, meaningless, all these different labels that get attached when really it's just, you might be somewhere in the middle. You might be trying to define the things that you're looking for. And that's something else. That's a big thing that I've learned throughout my own time of living in the States is that because, well, I'm not going to say because, because I, I don't really know. I think one of the reasons is because everything is so fast paced it does make it difficult sometimes to slow down, to reflect, to process, to learn and not have to define certain things quickly or come to conclusions, but rather give it time. And then through that time, kind of figure out what you were trying to figure out. Instead, it's like, you got to figure it out now. You got to define that purpose right this second. And if you haven't, then you are perceived as X, Y, and Z. And so I think how you and I even started this conversation in regard to compost, composting and killing ideas, being able to differentiate between the different ideas that operate your day-to-day life, I think it's huge. Well, I'm glad you brought that back around because, yeah, it applies perfectly there. And ideally, uh, just like with a, a project or whatever else, if you can conceive of that recalibration process of rethinking the things that you believe uh, as part of a bigger process, you're in a much better state to do it consistently because you're actually you're you're fighting against a lot of biological incentives that try to push you to just chill and not upset the apple cart, not do anything that forces you to expend more energy because thinking hard and challenging the heuristics, the mental shortcuts that you use to make decisions and understand the world, challenging those and rebuilding them is very energy intensive and your body does not like that. It wants to just never spend energy. It wants to just relax and stockpile and have everything be biologically simple. And so anytime you challenge that, it's actually a little bit painful in the sense that your body and mind push against 
wanting to even consider thinking about it. So if you can look at that process and one, consider it to be a good thing rather than a negative thing that you're forced into periodically, that's great. If you can look at it as a growth oriented investment that you're making, that's even better. But then if you can remember to remind yourself that this is not something that you do once or twice throughout your life, ideally you're always doing it. Like maybe every single day, at least to a small degree, but like periodically in a big way too, because you as a person change, like you learn new things, you meet new people, you are experienced, uh, you're exposed to new information. And if you're not changing based on that, that means that you've just created this incredibly rigid shell around yourself that disallows any type of growth. Uh, and at any point in the future, you've decided that it's important enough to cling to this collection of things that you think you know, and this version of yourself that's based on outdated ideas, that you've moved past it, you've learned new things, you've met new people. You've decided that that is more important than actually recalibrating and reshaping yourself based on that new information. And allowing yourself to think of it in that way as an iterative evolutionary process as opposed to something that's forced upon you, a responsibility or, or something that you have to kind of hold your nose and take the medicine, uh, I think you're in a much better position to do it on a consistent basis because then it is part of that growth process that most of it, most of us at least, I think to some degree have a positive affect towards. Colin, how do people connect with you? What do you have going on in your life? Any more fascinating blog posts that are coming up that people can <laughs> check out and spark possible podcast conversations about <laughs> i'm definitely biased on that I, i'll leave it to everybody else's decision whether or not they're fascinating <laughs> I, I i'd be happy if like one in every 20 is fascinating uh but i do essays each week on my newsletter and on exilelifestyle.com colin.io usually links to most of my projects i've got a couple new ones coming i've got a big uh renewable energy, green economy, uh, sustainability focused project that I'm working on that's going to launch next year. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, but then otherwise, just continuing to do a lot of news analysis work at One Sentence News and Let's Know Things. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next time.